Hey everybody, welcome to This Ability Podcast, where we are on a mission to shift perspective, encourage others, and create community. Well, I am so pumped to be joined by the third Paralympic athlete of the podcast. Uh, Steve Serio is on the podcast with me today. He has a bronze medal from the London Games in 2012. And he uh, and his team of 12 were on the podium holding a gold medal in the 2016 Rio Games. And I'm so excited to hear his story and uh, for everyone to get to meet uh, Steve and hear more about wheelchair basketball. Steve, welcome. Welcome to the podcast. Man, Clark, thanks so much for having me. Um, Just an honor to be here and to kind of share my story and the impact that wheelchair basketball has had on my life because it's, it's absolutely been one of the, the most influential thing that has happened to me. So thanks yeah. for having me. Oh man, my pleasure. I'm excited. Uh, when I prep for some of these conversations, I, you know, if, it, if it's been, I, I've had Lex Gillette and also Eliana Mason. So I've watched a lot of videos to kind of get familiar with them or their sport. So I get very hyped uh, talking to athletes because there's just something about uh, athletics. And there's just something about, uh, being competitive and obviously I'm, I'm in Michigan. So obviously team USA. So Lex, uh, Eliana and yourself are all team USA reps. So, uh, I, I just love that. It's very exciting. And, and talking to Eliana about kind of the, 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 the gameplay of goalball, I was like, man, I got to play goalball. Like it's, it's for, for blind athletes. And I was like, this is awesome. And hearing Lex and it's just incredible. So I've been watching a lot of your videos, uh, some highlights and uh, it is unreal what people can do in a wheelchair on a basketball court. I'm just so excited, but before we get into the wheelchair basketball side of things, Steve, I'd love to just kind of start with your story. Um, you know, you're in a wheelchair, what happened, uh, and then kind of where you're at today. And, and we'll pick and choose some things. I might cut you off and ask some questions, but why don't you tell everybody your story? Yeah, absolutely. So I like to tell people that my life truly began when I was 11 months old. Uh, I was actually born with a benign spinal tumor that went undiagnosed for the first 11 months of my life. And during those months, the tumor became infected and inflamed and actually crushed my spinal cord, Mm. resulting in the incomplete paralysis of my lower extremities. So um, you could say that living with a disability, it's it's all I know. It's it's, it's the only uh, life that I've ever known. Um, But to be honest, my my parents were determined to give me that quote unquote normal childhood, that normal lifestyle. I had able-bodied friends growing up. I went to a public school system and I played able-bodied sports to the best of my abilities. And basically sports were just a way to hang out with my friends. It was what any other kid would do. You just want to be included in the group. And to be honest with you, growing up with a disability is not easy. You know, like I said, the last thing you could possibly want when you're growing up is to be different than all the other kids around you. And it's particularly tough with a disability because while everybody has insecurities growing up, the insecurities that I have were constantly on display for the world around me. I I remember growing up, I had to wear these really large braces and use crutches because I wanted to walk because that's what everybody around me was doing. Everybody was walking and I was just trying to fit into their world. And I would have these adolescent worries like, you know, 
would my friends continue to like me if I can't play sports with them or if I can't ride bikes with them? Or mm. how am I going to ask a girl to dance with me at my middle school dance? Yeah, like yeah, yeah. just like some basic like middle school insecurities that were just completely overblown because of my disability. I tell people that it's not easy to fit into a world that was not built for you. And that's exactly what it feels like to have a disability. Yeah. But I, when I was about 14 or 15 years old, um, I tried to compete for my, for my high school sports teams. And the school board basically told me and my parents that I was not able to compete for yeah. liability reasons and for safety reasons. Sure. So I did what any other kid would do. I wanted to be a part of the team. So I became the inspirational disabled person on the sidelines Got that it. would give, give motivational speeches in the beginning of the games. Like, Hey guys, you know, you're winning this one for me. Cause I can't be out there with you. No. And I did that for about a year, but to be honest, I wasn't born to sit on the sidelines. Yeah. I, I needed to find an athletic outlet. I needed to find some action in my life. And it was through a physical therapist that I found a wheelchair basketball team that actually played 10 minutes away from where I grew up. And I never knew about it. Wow. And I had, I had no idea adaptive sports even existed. I, I kind of thought to myself, wheelchair basketball, like, how do you do that? How do you play basketball sitting down? Sure. <laughs> I thought that maybe like the kids were playing on these little Fisher price hoops that are like yeah, three yeah. feet tall and stuff right. like that. So I went down with my father and I remember going to practice and not having any expectations. And I remember sitting in a basketball wheelchair for the first time. And this was a chair that's, that's not built for my body type, for my disability. Yeah. And I just remember pushing up and down the court and touching the ball for the first time and just feeling free from my disability Amazing. for the very first time in my life. It's, oh. it's who I am. Yeah. And it's allowed me to embrace the things that make me different. And I learned through wheelchair basketball that by embracing the things that make me different, I was able to shatter any and all limitations or expectations anyone would ever try to place upon me. Mm. It, it has been the single most empowering thing that has happened to me in my life. And I'm just so incredibly grateful that I found it at the time that I did. I wish I would have found it earlier, but, um, you know, as in those teenage formative years, um, I'm just so grateful to have found it. So um, fast forward, I, I, I attended the University of Illinois on a uh, full academic scholarship for wheelchair basketball, uh, graduated with a degree in exercise science. Are there many schools, forward, Steve? I'm so sorry to cut you off. Are there many schools no, no. with uh, wheelchair basketball programs? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, so when I was attending college, there was about eight teams, eight programs in, wow, across the country. And not what now I, I think it's, it's close to doubled. Um, that's great. You know, the University of Alabama has probably the best wheelchair adapt adaptive sports program in the country right Come now. On, and why then, does Alabama have every good team? That's not fair. Come on. I don't know, man. They bring in so much of that football money. So no kidding. They're spreading it around. Go. That's a good point. They probably uh, have the greatest facilities. Exactly. And then, you know, that if Alabama has one, so that means Auburn there has to have one. So there's some of the two new ones, but um, actually wheelchair basketball was founded at the University of Illinois. So I, I felt a deep connection oh, with awesome. the sport Very and, cool. with, and with that program. Um, and like you said, in the introduction, I've been a member of Team USA since 2006. So I've competed yeah. in the last three Paralympic Games. 
uh, gold medal in Rio, which was an incredible experience, bronze yeah. in London, and then actually finished fourth in Beijing in 2008. So yeah. I highly recommend to anybody listening, if you are going to the Paralympic or Olympic Games as an athlete, don't finish fourth. That was <laughs> not the best experience. Yeah. Um, but honestly, it's just another step in the journey. So I'm happy it's there. Yeah, man, I, I love it. Uh, I, I just love there's something freeing. Um, I've said it a couple of times in, on different podcasts, just as I talk to people, it's, it's a lot of like when you can find something and you're able to be creative or you're able to, to compete as an athlete, that's so helpful when you have a disability. You know, I've talked to, I talked to Brad Manning, who has a similar eye disease than my, uh, of mine. And he started a company with his, his, uh, his blind brother and it's called two blind brothers. And they've started this company and they're completely blind. And, and when you're able to find something that you can put the time and effort in becoming great at, it, it is just, I've found it in these conversations that it's something so helpful in dealing with being a little different or dealing with that fact that you, you lost something. You're not like everybody else. And it's, it's just incredible, but you had to get there. And that's what I love about your story, Steve, is like you had to work to get there. And you mentioned your, your, your parents were determined uh, to, to make you, you know, or, or, uh, they, they were determined to give you a normal life, which again, that echoes every conversation, uh, with another athlete I've had on this podcast. And there's something about that. Um, talk to, talk about your family experience a little bit more, uh, with your mom and dad or, or, you know, your friends, how did that impact you today? And, and I'm jumping ahead a little bit, but you had a quote that, you know, somebody, it was actually, I think it was Bob from CAF. He asked you, you know, why are you successful? And uh, you said family and the idea of growth. And I want to talk about growth later, but what was it about family that eventually had you, you know, has you where you are currently? And then also, you know, holding a, a gold medal in Rio, what was it about family that did that for you? Yeah. My family and friends growing up were, huge in my development, not only as an athlete, but as a person. And yeah. uh, I'll, I'll credit, credit them to this. Not one of them ever felt sorry for me wow. for being different or for having a disability. Mm. I, I, I always tell people that, you know, my parents were determined to give me a normal lifestyle, yeah. but normal doesn't mean easy. It mm. means that I still got in trouble just as much as anybody, any <laughs> other kid. If I, if it took me three or four or five times to learn how to ride a bike or learn how to do that same activity, I was going to do it, but they were going to be supporting me every step of the way. Yeah. So they never made excuses for me. And that's, that's something that kids with disabilities that I've seen across my time on Team USA, it's very easy to make excuses. It's very easy to tell you, to tell people why you can't do something or why, you know, I, or I can't be a part of this group or this activity because I had to do things a little bit differently. Yeah. And I will say I'll credit a lot of my PE teachers as well, because again, for safety reasons, they had to be very careful about which things that they included me in and which things they didn't include me in, wow. but they never used it as an excuse. Like for instance, like hockey is a big sport on the, obviously on the Northeast. Sure. So we would play hockey a bunch of times. And when I was walking with my braces and using crutches, my PE teacher actually made this special crutch for me that had a hockey blade on the end of the crutch wow. so that I could still kind of participate. And it's just like, yes, I probably looked funny playing hockey with my friends. Yes. Sure. I had to do things differently and no, I wasn't as fast as them, 
but I was still out there. I was still competing. I was still doing what I, what I love to do, which is ultimately be on the field of play with the people I love the most, which is my friends. So it's like, don't be afraid to just try it, to just yeah. see what happens when you have to do things a little bit differently, but you're still out there. And I credit that to, to obviously my, my support group, which like I said, my friends, my family, they never felt sorry for me. They just were just like, if you want to do this, this is how we can help you. And let's just go. Wow. So not making excuses was a, was a huge part of my development growing up. Man, I can't get over the PE teacher that did that for you. <laughs> like that, it, this is like weird, but is that not like the, the most profound definition of love, right? Just like taking the time to take care of a child like that is just beautiful. Like I, that there's just something so special about that. I literally got like goosebumps and it's again, every conversation is like, yep, it was this teacher. Uh, my mom did this at this point. Oh man. I had this buddy that, that it, it's always people. So it, it talking to people with a disability or some sort of challenge or disadvantage, it's like, you've got to have people. And it's, it's interesting, Steve, you had mentioned, you know, growing up, you, you had a visible disability and people often look at something that I deal with. It's an invisible disability. I don't, I'm not to the point where I have a dog or a cane or anything like that. Um, it's tough. I've, my wife has to help me a lot and just day to day and, you know, making sure I see the curb and don't kick it and <laughs> all sorts of craziness, <laughs> but it's, it's different because you had something that people saw all the time. And I just, it's so incredible hearing stories about PE teachers and people who just encouraged and helped. And I just think that's beautiful, but segueing, you know, you're 14, 15, you discover wheelchair basketball. And I, I, I a lot of people that are going to listen to this aren't going to have any clue. They know what basketball is, but they don't know what wheelchair basketball is. Can you talk about some of the differences in, in the two sports? Yeah, absolutely. So wheelchair basketball is remarkably similar to able-bodied basketball. Yeah. We have, it's still a five on five game. We still have the same exact lines. We, we play on the same exact court as the able-bodied athletes. So same three point line, same fouls. Like if consider the wheelchair as an extension of the body. So yeah. if I'm shooting or I'm going up to shoot and somebody hits my wheelchair, that's a foul. Oh wow! The one key difference is that there's no double dribble rule. So I, so there actually is a traveling. So uh, mm. every like in able body basketball, they get two steps before they have to dribble pass or right. shoot. We get two pushes before we have to dribble pass and wow. shoot. The difference is after those two pushes, we're allowed to dribble again and then take two more pushes and then dribble again and then gotcha. take two more pushes. So the new, there's no double dribbling, but the other main difference is it's a much more, this is going to sound bad, but I don't mean it that way. Let me explain. Sure. It's a much more team oriented game. And, yeah. I, and I mean that in the, in the instance of, it's not like you can throw the ball to your best player and let him go one-on-one -on -one or right. let him or her go one-on-one -on -one against the rest of the team yeah. because there's just a limited amount of space that, yes. that's on the court at that time because of the wheelchairs. Right. So you really have to work together. It's kind of like a giant puzzle board that you're con that is constantly changing, that it's constantly fighting yeah. against you. And you kind of have to move the pieces with your teammates around to get the best scoring opportunity possible. Yeah. So um, it's, it's, and again, it's all the same rules, same three point line, same everything, but uh, just no double dribbling. And I'll also mention that there is a classification system. So it prevents 
five able by uh, five uh, single amputees on one team playing against five high level spinal cord athletes uh-huh. or spinal cord disability athletes on the other team. You're allowed 14 points on the floor at one time, and each athlete is given a point based off of their disability. Gotcha. So for instance, uh, I'm a low level spinal cord injury. I'm a 3.5. So you have to add up the other players to 14 and that's your lineup. Got so it. it's, it's a very inclusive activity. It allows people with minimal disabilities to play with people with higher level spinal cord injuries. It's a very inclusive activity. And that's one of the things I love about it. That's awesome, man. I, I, I love that. And, 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 and uh, Lex talked about something similar of like T1, T2 athletes. And, mm-hmm. you know, that's why everybody had eye shades on, you know, everyone has eye shades when, when they're doing the long jump or running, but man, I was watching some videos and first of all, I mean, it, it doesn't help that I have terrible eyes, uh, but I was trying to watch <laughs> and it really is like crazy. I mean, it's not like in, in, for the uninitiated, it's not your standard, like straight wheel wheelchairs. Like it's not the ones you, like everyone, when everyone thinks of wheelchair, you all have one in mind. It's like what grandma used, right? These are exactly. very different. They're like the, the, the wheels are bowed out. They're a lot sleeker. And seeing you guys do these spins and do the, just watching the court, like when, when everyone's on one side of the court and everyone's doing these movements and everyone's passing it, it, it's intense. Like it's, it's like, there's a lot of mental parts of it. There's the physical part of it, I think is probably, if I could say this, I think it's way, I'm trying to figure out a better word here, but I feel like it's underappreciated if you're watching it, Steve, I can't, the upper body strength that you have to have to let one shoot a basketball, like a basketball. Yeah. It's fairly light, but sitting down and only having arm strength, you're not jumping. It's only arm strength. That's a feat in itself, but then you're holding the ball with one hand, you're doing a spin move. Like it's just crazy. And it's so fun to watch because it's not just, okay, pass, shoot. It's like, there's strategy. There's, Hey, you got to, there's, uh, uh, there's pick and rolls, man. There's like, it, <laughs> it is so cool to watch and just, just seeing some of the spin moves. And man, I saw one moment that he was just set up perfectly at the top of the key. And he just drains a three pointer because like somebody was going to the hoop and the guy guarding him left him. And it was just this brilliant play. And it's just so intriguing. So it really is like chess and being like being able to move the pieces around. It just, it's so fun. Uh, so I, I wanted to say that because I just the upper body strength and watching some of your videos too, Steve, you're just, you're just draining shots and just all of body strength. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I encourage anybody to, to, to kind of understand what it's like to just take a normal chair that you have in your house and go outside and try to shoot. It's from, no joke. Sitting down position. It's, it's definitely different. Uh, on the bright side, it's just like anything else, right? Like yeah, yeah. with enough training and enough, and enough repetition, it just becomes second nature. But you're absolutely right in, in what you said about, about the sport, about the strategy involved. And I will say that you picked one of the most talented athletes that we have in our sure. sport today, which is Brian. So <laughs> yeah. um, not everybody can, can do what he do. He's kind of like LeBron, but sure. uh, yeah, he's, he's, he's an awesome guy. Man, for that's, sure. that's so fun though, Steve, that like there's athletes like that. And that's why like, I'm excited to release something like this. Cause I want people to know, like, I want people when the Olympics are over, Hey, watch the Paralympics. Like let's get the word out there and watch these incredible athletes 
it's just stinking awesome. I was getting so pumped watching some of the highlights. And of course, knowing that you're in Rio, some of the highlights I was watching, you guys are going to win gold. It was just, it was just fun to watch. It was, it's, it's very cool. And it's something, you know, I'm going to be paying attention to way more than I ever have this year. Uh, Cause it's just, it's awesome, man. I just, I, I think it's so fun. And, and I want to talk about, um, you know, you, you go to Beijing, you come in fourth um, and you, you've talked a lot about how losses have been such a benefit to you. You know, you've learned from the losses and they've, they've propelled you and they've, they've helped you. And it may be without fourth, there's not a world where you get gold, right? Like maybe without the, the L or without the learning experiences, you, I mean, look at that progression, you take fourth and then you get bronze and then you, you finally do it uh, in Rio and Hey, we'll, we'll take another gold here in Tokyo in a few months, Steve, but talk to <laughs> us about the, the progression and, and, I mean, it's not every day that people get to talk to people who have gone to the Olympic Games. So talk to us about some of those experiences or, man, was there was there a last minute buzzer beater situation in in Rio that that puts you on the podium or just talk to us about what it's been like being at the Olympics and some of those moments? Yeah, I mean, I've drawn parallels from my personal life to my professional life all throughout all throughout my journey. And the common theme is that I, I truly believe that your life is defined in the most difficult moments. You know, mm. everybody wants to talk about what it feels like to win a gold medal. Um, and everybody wants to do interviews after, after you accomplish something like yeah. that. But for me, the defining moments of my life have been the most difficult moments. And like wow. you said, finishing fourth in Beijing, a lot of people, you know, would have just, kind of packed it up and, and left from there. And yeah. honestly, it was the moment that I decided that this was something that I wanted to, to pursue the goal of winning a gold medal. I decided at that very moment that that was what I wanted to, to accomplish. And the bar has been set. And I will say it's the same thing about living with a disability, right? Like if there's so, it's so easy to just kind of go through life and make excuses and to just let yourself be defined by that difficult moment, but yeah. you have to attack life. You have to use that to your advantage to not only become a better person, but a better father and a better friend and a, just yeah. a, just a, just a better person. So uh, I truly believe that your life is going to be defined by those difficult moments in your life. Not necessarily the most, uh, not necessarily the best or the most memorable, but, um, you know, if you want to talk about just about Team USA, please, like you said, there was a there was a progression, right? Like starting out, I was a very young 21 year old kid in Beijing. And I was the Team USA athlete that wanted to go to every single sport. I wanted to know every single person at the Team USA That's table awesome. in the cafeteria. Amazing. I made some amazing, amazing friends that I'll have for life oh. at in Beijing and the Paralympics, yeah. but maybe I probably should have been focused a little bit more on basketball <laughs> because we did finish fourth. Sure. So uh, I, to be honest with you, while finishing fourth, it wasn't the highlight of my journey. It was one of the most important moments. And uh, you know, when I think of Beijing, I actually don't think about being on court. I think about walking into the opening arena, uh, the opening ceremonies for the first time. And you're dressed in your Ralph Lauren's with all the other Team USA yeah. athletes. And you just hear the crowd erupt when Unreal. Team USA is called. It's just an, wow. a totally surreal experience. Yeah. Um, but fast forward four years to London, um, where we finished with a bronze medal. And again, it, it wasn't the, 
wasn't the ultimate goal, but it was important for me yeah. to realize that we're progressing, that we are building something here that that can that can absolutely accomplish that goal of winning a gold. And then it all coming together four years later in Rio, it just made every step of the journey so important. Like yeah. I, I remember looking back on it after we won that gold medal, feeling a sense of relief. It wasn't, it wasn't happiness. It wasn't joy. It was like, we got to the top of the mountain, we did it together. And now I'm just going to lie here for a minute and yeah. not necessarily think about anything. Yeah. Um, and it's, it, it's, it's pretty indescribable of a feeling to accomplish a goal like that. But yeah. I just remember, you know, looking to my left and looking to my right when I'm on the podium and seeing my teammates and seeing my coaches behind us, just thinking, man, I, I wouldn't have picked a, another group of people to share this moment with. It really is like you're creating a family yeah. where you can kind of go through the thick and thin all together. So um, it's just been an, an incredible, an incredible journey so far. And like you said, we have high expectations for Tokyo. Uh, we have a lot of the same guys coming back. So uh, we obviously are looking uh, pretty, we have definitely have high expectations leading into those Paralympics for sure. Oh man, it's awesome. And, and you're a co-captain, right? Yeah. Uh -huh. I'm co-captain with another veteran. Uh, his name is Mikey Pay. He's actually also from Michigan. Oh, okay. Uh, awesome. So yeah, so it's, uh, it's, it's been, it's been a lot of the same group of guys, but you know, I always tell them and I always tell people who, who bring up that I'm co-captain, like this group of athletes, like they don't, they don't need a captain. Like we're all in it together. We all, we all feel the same joy when we're successful. We all feel the same regret when we, when we're not successful, it really is operating as one. So, um, it's just a great group of guys. Man, unity just makes things feel better. You know, I think there's a lot of flack in the NBA right now, specifically just a, a lot of these super teams. And it does look like it's a lot of, um, you know, not, not as much unity or camaraderie. So I, I, I and you said that a couple of times in, in conversations, just looking and it's 12 guys and you guys, you know, trial by fire, you, you, you took some L's, took some on the chin and then you got up and there's something so special about, about being unified with a team and what that can actually, what that can do. Cause it's not just talent. Uh, you can't just have Brian do everything. You have to have an incredibly unified team to, Hey, I'm going to throw you the ball. And I trust that you're going to make this play because we practiced. So I just, I, I think the, the unity aspect, just like you can uh, underappreciate potentially the, the upper body strength and, and just being able to use the arms, I'm sure the unity aspect is also something that's very underappreciated and you've been on a lot of teams and I'd love to talk about what you're doing now. Landell, if, if I understand you're over in Europe right now, you're in Germany and you're playing professionally. And is that the team it's, it's Landell. Yeah, it's RSV Landell and we're a team that's based maybe 40 minutes outside of Frankfurt. And gotcha. um, uh, a lot of people are, are kind of, disappointed that there's no professional league in the u.s absolutely and it's true wheelchair basketball is considered a recreational sport in the u.s and if you want to get paid to play and play against the best in the world when you're outside of your national teams europe is where you you have to be wow. um, and i this is actually my sixth season with londell i've come and gone a few times but uh i thought to myself during covid when the Paralympics got postponed that um, this is just not how I wanted to train. I, I didn't want to plank for 
500 minutes uh, in, inside when COVID hit. I wanted to train and, do, and be the best athlete that I could be, which means that I had to be in Europe. So um, at, the, at the end of 2020, I decided that I, I had to kind of move, move back here and uh, be the best athlete that I could be heading into Tokyo. So yeah, I've been here for the last few months. Yeah, that's amazing. I, I, uh, what needs to happen? Like how, how would a, and I mean, this is probably a bigger answer. I don't know if there's like a quick, a quick answer. It's I'm sure funding and there's a lot of aspects to it, I'd be, but like, you know, how, how do you create a professional league in the States? And I guess, what are the, what are the obstacles? Like why, 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 why is there not a uh, professional wheelchair basketball league here in the States? Yeah, I don't, I'm not entirely sure we have enough time on this podcast sure, yeah, to yeah, yeah. answer that question entirely, <laughs> yeah. but I, I'll, I'll give you the SparkNotes version. Sure. Um, first off, uh, there, there 100% is not the same level of funding for adaptive yeah. sports in the States as there is in other countries. Um, you know, I think that we're starting, we're definitely progressing in the right direction. And that starts with the amazing leadership from, you know, different sponsor groups that yeah. have been taking an interest in the Paralympics, like a Toyota like a Nike, um, but we're not, we're not entirely there yet. And there's just too many logistical challenges. You know, sure. for instance, when I was playing in the States, um, a few years ago, I was playing for the New York Knicks who there's a number of NBA teams that have local affiliate wheelchair basketball teams. Okay. But let's just say that, you know, the funding is rather limited compared yeah. to the things that they bring in. So none of us are complaining because it's a, it's a wonderful to be sure. associated with a brand like a New York Knicks. Yeah. But you know, we can always do better. We can always grow adaptive sports. Um, but the closest team that we had to us was in DC. So talk about the logistics of flying, Oh, wow. you know, bringing people back and forth and without a, you know, substantial salary being paid, people have jobs that they have to, yep. that they have to commit to. So it's just, there's just some logistical challenges in the States. Yeah. Whereas in Europe, um, you know, and I'll, I'll say this is the, probably the key difference. Adaptive sports athletes are viewed very differently in Europe. We're looked at as more of just athletes rather wow. than adaptive athletes. So I think that yeah. Europe, or the, you know, the European countries are a little bit further ahead of us when it comes to just the perception of what adaptive sports athlete means um, wow. or having a disability means they, I can tell you that the area that I'm in here in Germany is much more accessible for wheelchair users than New York city is. No where kidding. Yeah, what is that? So, like, why, what's the cultural, like I, I sure some of it's financial and like some of it's infrastructure and in doing that, but there's, there's, I mean, what you just said of, of like people, maybe not necessarily people in general, that might not be the right word, but like at, you're looked at as more of an athlete in Europe more than the States. That sounds like a cultural gap there. And I'm, I'm what, what is that? Like, can you put your, can you put your thumb on, on what that is? Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think it's multi-tiered, like, just like you said, without getting into the financial sure. and political and, and yeah. um, socioeconomical reasons that are different in the States. You know, I will say that wheelchair basketball athletes, we have a lot less to compete with here in this, in, in Germany. Mm. For instance, when I go to, when I play basketball in New York, if I want someone to come to a wheelchair basketball game, they have not only middle school and high school games that they can go to, they can go to AAU games, they can go to university mm. games, and then obviously the NBA right at, right out of our front door. Sure. Whereas here in Europe, you know, if you want to see the top level of basketball 
in the area, you come to a RSV line bill game. You, wow. don't, you don't go to an able body game. So I think that there's just cool. a variety of factors. Yeah, yeah, it is really cool. It's, it's a, it's a really unique opportunity for us yeah. where we don't get this opportunity in, in other parts of the world. So, yeah. um, so yeah, so it's multi-tiered, but I can tell you that we're definitely trending in the right direction and in, in terms of awareness. Yeah. So like doing podcasts similar to yours yeah. and having these interest from these sponsors, we're making small and small steps toward the right direction each and every day. And the power of those small wins, man, is, is, is truly what it's all about. So while it's not exactly where we want to be in terms of awareness and investment in adaptive sports, uh, we're definitely trending in the right direction. Yeah. Yeah. You said something about how expensive wheelchairs are and it's like kids that might want to do something. It's like, man, you, you, they can't even afford it. And to be honest, that broke my heart. Just thinking about, man, there's a, there's another, you know, kid version of a Steve Serio who's super competitive and would love to get into wheelchair basketball, but they simply can't afford the wheelchair that would allow them to do that. Are there any organizations like, is there anything I know CAF, it sounded like they gave, you know, a chair or, or maybe they, they do that often, but are there organizations that kind of target kids in that way of, Hey, if you're interested in wheelchair basketball, we'll connect you and we'd love to help buy a, a chair or something. Do, are, are there organizations like that? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's exactly like what you said. I always compare it to whenever you want to play wheelchair basketball or you want to play wheelchair tennis we have a separate wheelchair that we play those sports in that's separate of our everyday chair. I compare it to like putting on a different pair of shoes sure. for able-bodied athletes. Yeah, it's like, like cleats, if you want to play right? basketball. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. The difference is, is that my pair of cleats costs about $6,000. Yeah. So it's, you're right. It, it prices a lot of, a lot of people out. And there are a number Jeez. of organizations that, that help all uh, different developmental the different stages of development athletes that, that they can get their equipment. And I, I would say the leader and in full disclosure, I have worked for them in the past and I, and I hope to work with them continuing in the future, yeah. but the challenge athletes foundation is that's at awesome. the forefront of oh, so providing sick. grants with kids with disabilities to, to provide those equipment. Um, I think that they've, I'd have to look on their website to get the exact numbers, right. But I think it's, they paid out over a million dollars each year towards sporting equipment grants for people with disabilities uh, and they help high performance athletes they help newly injured athletes they really are kind of taking that problem and and making it their mission to make sure that no person with a disability is left out of having an opportunity to play any adaptive sport that they want oof. so um like i said it's not necessarily where we want to be in, yeah. in a perfect world you know maybe uh having a, a sports chair would just be like the same as buying a new pair of sneakers sure. or something, but we're not quite there yet. And, but the CAF and other organizations are definitely looking to create as much opportunity as possible, man. If we talk about this too much longer, I'm going to get emotional. Like there's just something <laughs> about kids, man. Like, again, I grew, I was very different than you. Mine progressed in my twenties and legally blind of, as of, you know, 2020, but it just breaks my heart thinking about a kid in a wheelchair that is like sitting on the sidelines and wants to play and they just can't afford the chair. So I'm hoping, and some of it is just, they, I mean, they might not even know about something like CAF. They might not even know. So that's why like I'm, I'm motivated to just figure something out where I can create some sort of like 
resource, some sort of platform where some kid can hear a podcast with Steve Serio and hear about CAF and somehow get connected, man. And just like, Hey, I want to play basketball. Like I, I just, that'll help people, you know, that will, that will help people. So that is so encouraging. And I want to segue because again, I don't want, I don't want to get emotional on the podcast. I, I, it's eight, eight or nine episodes in, I haven't cried yet. So I don't want to, you know, <laughs> I, I'm not, I don't want to get there, but these are your words, not mine. Uh, you've only got a couple of years on me, Steve, but you said I'm the old guy now on some of these teams that you're playing on. What's it like being, being the older guy? What's it like mentoring and helping some of these younger guys that are coming onto team USA or, uh, your team there in Germany or whatever other organizations or teams you've been a part of, what are, you know, what are, how are you mentoring them? Or, you know, what does that look like now that, that you're in the, the old guys uh, seat? Yeah. The, the biggest difference is that things hurt. Yeah. Like my, my body hurts like a lot and it just doesn't recover as <laughs> yeah, fast yeah, yeah. as, as things used to. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I will say that it, Tokyo will more than likely be my last Paralympic games. And, it's really because it's not necessarily because I can't play anymore. You know, I still have extremely high expectations for me personally on, on the court, yeah. but being a team USA athlete and being a high performance athlete, it truly is a lifestyle. Yeah. It's, it's, it's what you eat each and every day. It's how much sleep you get each and every day. And I just remind people and I remind new athletes coming in that there's going to be a level of sacrifice that it's going to take to be the best version of an athlete that you could possibly be. And, you know, I use the example of, listen, I have to come to Europe to be in the best place possible to train for a Paralympic games. I know I would, I would love to be able to be in New York city around my friends and family and just kind of be able to spend time with them and train the way I want to, but yeah. that's not, that's not realistic in the sport that we have. So I'll, I would say that, uh, this is year, I don't know, 16, 17 for me being a high performance athlete. I've never had a summer to myself. Actually, wow. I take that back. Last summer during COVID was the first summer I've ever forced, had. A forced where, summer off, right? E exactly. Yeah. So, you know, I just think that um, the impact that I can have off the court with how I'm using my social media with, you know, yeah. raising the awareness with podcasts like this yeah. and just making sure that every adaptive athlete has the opportunities that I didn't have growing up, but because we have so many different outlets, hopefully it's easier for them to hear about CAF. Hopefully it's easy for them to seek out wheelchair basketball or tennis or track or, or what have you. Yeah. So the impact that I can have off the court is more important to me than the impact that I can have on it. Yeah. And I think that once you kind of reach that point mentally, um, you know, it's just time to do something else. You know, I've, sure. I've accomplished everything that I've wanted to accomplish in this sport. And now I have other goals, which yeah. is going to take the same amount of dedication, the same amount of, of hard work, the same amount of sacrifice, but it's just going to take place, not necessarily on a gym floor. It's yeah, going to yeah, take yeah. place in, in boardrooms and raising funds and on social media. So, man, I love um, it. That is yeah. so amazing, Steve. And, and honestly, man, you know, put your cape on. Cause I, that's such a hero move of yours because like you were that kid, man. And, and I just like, you know, if I heard correctly, it was a physical therapist uh, who told you about uh, wheelchair basketball, like, man, can we get it to the point where, Hey, uh, you know, Mr. And Mrs. Serio, I know this is a tough diagnosis, but 
Hey, check out these pamphlets about wheelchair basketball. In just a few years, like your son can get started. Like I, I want to be able to get to that phase, you know, where they can start playing basketball at eight and, and younger and, and, and doing those things. So man, good for you. I think that's incredible. You wanting to uh, just do something and make an impact off the court. It's not just about the medals and the trophies. And uh, I, I know you did some, you know, won some championships and different things at, at, at U of I, but man, I'm, I'm excited what impact you're going to make off the court. I just think that's, um, you know, that's just uh, an incredible thing. And, and I'm honored that, you know, you would do that because I'm not and, in a wheelchair, but I'm legally blind. And I know there's a lot of other people like me that need more people like you. Yeah. I mean, why, like when, when you start to think about it, like why don't we live a more inclusive, a more inclusive life? Like for instance, I've, I always remind people like, you know, why don't we, why don't we play goalball in every PE class that we've ever played? Right. Yeah, it's so yeah, easy. Yeah. If you have some blindfolds and you know, the sport and wow. any, anybody can truly play goalball. It's like true. why don't we have 10 or 12 wheelchairs in gym classes where wow. we can have, you know, able body athletes sitting in wheelchairs and getting a chance to experience what it's like to have a disability, but also what it's like to be a Paralympian and play a yeah. Paralympic sport. Um, those are the goals that we have kind of looking, looking out 10, 20, 30 years, just yeah. to create a more inclusive environment for each person to be the best versions of themselves. That's, yeah. that's truly the goal. And like I said, I, I'm embarrassed to say that there was no internet when I was growing up. So <laughs> I didn't have Instagram and Facebook and, sure. and Snapchat or what have you to, to see wheelchair basketball. Yeah, you, you probably had MySpace though, you know, <laughs> I was going to say, I did have an AOL account with that dial up modem, but it was, you know, the idea that we have so much at our fingertips nowadays that yes. there really is no excuse for someone to feel left behind or for someone to feel left out because yeah. um, if we do what we need to do, you know, inclusion is, is the key to, to creating a more happy lifestyle for everyone. Yeah. You mentioned, um, you know, your, the, the reason you've achieved success has been family and the other was idea of growth. And, you know, an, another question I had is, you know, just how you stay encouraged, Steve, cause it's like, there's gotta be a Tuesday. I use the same example every time. It's just like, <laughs> there's a random Tuesday. It's like, gosh, man, like, why did this happen to me? And, and may, you know, you, you've had this your whole life. So maybe it's, it's different for you um, now, but what, talk about that, the, the idea of growth, like why, what is that about you that wants to grow? And that's, you know, helped you become successful or become the person that you are today. What's, what does that idea of growth mean to you? Yeah, that's, that's a great question. One that each high performance athlete or each high functioning individual is going to answer differently. But I will say that there are some, there are some general themes to take away. The, the two that come to mind for me are how important the first one, how important goal setting is, you know, yeah. a lot of people say that they want to accomplish something, but I, I want them, I want you to truly ask yourself, is this something that you want to do? Is this something that you want to accomplish? Because if it is, then every decision that you make in your everyday life has to be geared toward accomplishing that goal with the support of your loved ones sitting next to you. Yeah. So, and, and a lot of people like we see things, we want them, but we don't truly have the, the drive to go, after, to go after what we want. And I will say that, you know, it's easy to move the goalposts in your dreams, but if it really is a dream and it really is a goal, 
there's no excuse. Go, go, mm. go, go get it. You know yes. what I mean? Like if, if this is going to be the motivation to get you to finally take that first step towards becoming whatever type of person you want to be, yeah. let it be, let it be right now because there's no better time to start than this, this second right here. And I will say that every single high performance athlete, every single successful person in life has those random Tuesdays where, yeah. man, I just don't, I just don't want to do this right now. Like yeah. it's, but it's important to understand where you are in your development. And it's important for me, how I get through those Tuesdays is understanding the power of small victories. Like mm -hmm. even if, even if my body hurts and I'm just mentally fatigued from training or from games or whatever have you, and I can just get up shots for 30 minutes in the gym today, that's better than nothing. And that's going to create the foundation for me to be successful tomorrow and the day after that. So the power of those small victories, like don't, don't set them aside and say, oh, each high performance athlete trains for six hours a day. I, you know, I personally can't do that in my life. So therefore I can't be a, a high performance athlete. That's, yeah. that's not the way that it works. Mm. Um, and the, the, the thing that has made me successful over the years is I've never, gotten tired of the process. You know, I love the idea of, like you said, the idea of growth or creating a new shot or adding something to my game. Mm -hmm. Those are the things that keep me motivated. And I, and I haven't even mentioned my teammates yet. Like this, they're, they're the reasons why I play. They're the reasons why I continue to chase gold medals at the yeah. Paralympics, but just the learning how to love the process, learning how to love the journey, not necessarily the destination, um, when I look back on our run in Rio, you know, yeah, winning a gold medal and hearing the, the buzzer at the end and standing on the podium and having your flag raised just a little bit higher than everybody else's. Yeah. I mean, that's incredible. But right. like the thing that made that team special was the practices leading up to the Paralympics and the blood, sweat and tears that we all put in when no one was watching us like that. Yeah. That's what I'll remember from that team. It's oh. not it's not necessarily the gold medal that we won. So um lo love the process understand that everybody has those bad days but don't overestimate don't underestimate the value of just small small victories um and stop making excuses like if you want it go attack it because you only have one life to live and the only person the only excuse that you can make is that you're the reason why it's not happening so um i, I would say that those are the things that that have driven me so far to this point and the things that will continue to drive me in the pursuits that I want to accomplish off the court as well. Wow. Beautiful. I mean, that's worth the price of admission right there. I, it's funny. I I'm trying to uh, uh, post clips on social media and I was like, Oh, that's really good. Oh, that's really good. Oh, that's I've said it like 87 times in this <laughs> conversation, Steve, man, I'm so thankful for you. I'm so thankful that you, uh, are doing what you're doing, not, not just on the court. You know, I think that's cool. It's amazing. It gets someone like me excited. Um, I love sports. I love to watch. So it's like, that's very exciting, but I am, I'm challenged. I'm humbled about what you're going to do, what you have done off the court and what you're going to do in your future. And, uh, you know, before we get there though, man, we're, uh, we're all rooting for you, Tokyo. Uh, I, I hope you, you end your, your team USA career with a gold medal around your neck, man. And I, I really appreciate that. And, you know, to it's going to be a much different experience for us athletes that are you know, going to be in Tokyo. But that just means that everybody back home and in the States 
we need you to cheer a little bit louder so Absolutely. that we can hear you all the way across the ocean because yes. we know that there's a bunch of people behind us so we thank you for the, your support but um yeah man thanks again for having me on and, and to spread the awareness of not only my journey but the impact that that sports can have thank you so much for listening to this episode of this ability podcast i hope you are coming away from what you heard today feeling both challenged and encouraged. I hope you start to look at some of the disabilities or disadvantages in your life just a little bit differently and begin to leverage the abilities that you do have to become the best version of yourself. I would be honored if you would take a moment and hit subscribe on whatever platform you're listening to this on and share this with your friends and family. I'm so grateful that you decided to join me today and I will see you again real soon.